I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 93. What's going on, Mark? Uh, our weather's getting really strange, Jake. I mean, just we had the heaters on, what, four days ago, and then the air mm-hmm. conditioners on the next day, and then this morning the heaters were back on, and this afternoon the air conditioners are back on. It's like crazy Houston weather. My wife and I keep fighting over this thermostat. She's always <laughs> she's always cold. I'm always hot. We know we're going back and forth. As to, it's varying from like 65 to 75 every day. Yeah, so my wife and I do the, do the same thing. So, Jake, buy some Nest thermostats, and they don't show your wife the login. <laughs> and keep her all logged out well you can do it from your cell phone right so she can adjust whatever she wants you just grab your cell phone and put it right back <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome yeah so um um what's going on with you in westworld oh westworld man if so if you guys have not listened to or not or not listened to it why have you not watched westworld it's all the rage i didn't i hadn't even heard of it and i had a buddy come over uh showed me the first episode and i was like what is this are we watching some kind of western uh, and then it actually turned out to be something completely different. So, have you have you seen the first episode at all? No, I'm I'm waiting to binge watch. It's um, I was a big fan of the original movie, so it's I, I love the ideas, but I want to get like 20 of them in a row and then just watch them all day. Yeah, if you love if you love tech and you love really good TV shows, the thing is they're getting really good at making fantastic TV shows, and that kind of goes back into the fact that they have all this big data around what people actually like to watch, and then they're reverse engineering TV shows, so it's like very rare that you have like flops. Like Think about everything that's on Netflix or HBO or Showtime, and they're doing these original shows, and they're all just completely, they're just complete home runs. Yeah, and the cool thing about that though, Jake, is we benefit as as viewers, right, because we get quality um, entertainment or quality uh, news or quality uh, learning on you know on, on on TV movies, as opposed to years ago when they would just throw something out there and it'd either be good or it suck. <laughs> we got less and less of the stuff that sucks now, which I think is just awesome. Yeah, everybody benefits. They make more money, and we enjoy our, enjoy our shows, right? Yep. So speaking of everybody benefits, um, if uh, Jake and I are going to be on the road a lot for 2017, if you have an organization, a uh, sales uh, meeting. Um, a book club, whatever you like, Jake and I to come speak. Reach out to us; we'd love to share the details. We'll be at the Geo Convention May 15th, 19th in Calgary. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Uh, reach out to Dustin; um, they got a really great special. It'll help you get in front of a bunch of upstream companies, and that price of crude's creeping back. And then in January, Jake, we're all I'm planning on all of the podcast podcasters to be at the Mid Cotton Digital Oilfield Conference, January 25th and 26th. Um, still haven't got the details worked out there, but um, the whole gang of us is going to be up there. Maybe not at the same time, but we'll all be up there. Uh, we'll, we'll be out at NAEP Summit as press. Uh, we'll be at the Process Safety Oil and Gas also as press. We'll be at OTC as press, and we're doing some special stuff in National Oil Well. So 2017 uh, is filling up, but if you'd like to see us at your place, uh, reach out to us and let us know. Boom. Boom. So, Jake, awesome. you did a good job these news stories. So we've got a whole lot of things uh, going on in the news this week. And just as a kind of just to say this up front, I'm sorry that we keep talking about stuff that's political. I am so sick of it myself, but this is all extremely relevant to our industry and how it's going to affect the next 
uh, the next four years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm completely sick of people on social media talking about Trump this and Clinton this. You know, it is what it is. Um, but that being said, as we talked about, it was either in the last podcast or two episodes ago, we were talking about how the new administration is going to be the most oil and gas friendly uh, that we've ever seen. In, in you know the history yep. of the United States, and now this week we have two more announcements that have just reinforced that. Yeah, th- this is this is nuts, and it's all good stuff. But if you haven't heard yet, um, uh, Exxon Mobil CEO Rex Tillerson is now being um, uh, nominated for the Secretary of State. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, "Hey, you know the guy ran Exxon, did a good job. What does he know about being Secretary of State?" If you think about it, Jake. If you think about running Exxon, the largest oil and gas uh, uh, company in the world, and think of all the different countries they have to do business with, how they have to negotiate, how they have to understand local culture, understand local content, um, running Exxon Mobil is the perfect prerequisite for being a Secretary of State that understands business, which is what we've been needing. Um, and and I don't know Rex personally. We we run in some of the same political circles, but this guy knows what he's doing. Um, he's um, uh, you know a great leader. Um, he understands how to uh, make, uh, build good, smart teams that make good decisions. And so I just, I just cannot be any happier. Now, one of the things I've heard is that Exxon has uh, some vested interest in Russia, which is true. So people wonder if Rex has a, a bias toward Putin and the Russian administration. No, that's one of probably 800 countries Rex had to do business in. And, and Russia has a very significant uh, reservoir base. And so somebody like Exxon should be wanting to do business there, just like all the other super majors are involved out there. So don't don't pickle them just because of that. And, and Jake, one of the things I think is going to happen this year is with our new administration, I think we're going to lift a lot of the sanctions uh, in, or actually lift all the sanctions with Russia, uh, which just sets up Russia and the U.S. to become in partners again and being able to compete with OPEC. And, and I'm telling you, if, if we end the silliness between us and Russia, um, because if you talk to the Russian people, they don't hate Americans. And if you talk to the American people, they don't hate Russians. It's both of our politicians and our media trying to make this something that's not. But you get us together working together like we did in World War II, and, and OPEC doesn't have a chance. Yeah, and then on top of that, so we've got Rex Tillerson. Well, I, I, let me ask you this. How many, how many employees do you think Exxon has currently? I mean, it's the largest oil and gas company in the entire world. So it's yeah. pretty much like he's running a country himself. Yeah, it, it, has, it has to be over 100,000 employees. I, maybe with this downturn, maybe not that many. Um, but when you look at all of, so not just the direct employees that have ExxonMobil in their paycheck, but you look at all the contractors, subcontractors, look at all the places in the world we have to work with local content. You know, basically those employees have to be from that country. It, it has to be an enormous number. Yeah, so I think he's uh, definitely qualified to say the least. I was just curious about that. So, so the next announcement that uh, President-elect Trump has chosen was Rick Perry, which is something we mentioned two episodes ago, to be the Secretary of Energy. It just doesn't get any better, Jake. Now, I will say this. This is funny. Back when one of Rick's runs for the president election himself, he actually, this agency that he's getting to be in charge of, is one of the ones he wanted to get rid of, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but Rick knows how to run a business. Rick, one of the great things about Texas is our government runs the state as a business. So we have things like a rainy day fund, right? We have a savings account. No states have that. We have a balanced budget. Um, Rick is very involved in oil and gas, and so people can think he may have a bias. But one of the things that, that probably nobody knows is Texas is the number one wind generating state in the country, and it's the number one wind generation state because of Rick Perry. He saw the future in that. He put the right programs in place to encourage investors to invest in wind power here in Texas, and, and we're now number one because of his work. That's the type of person that I want 
to run the energy department. So where are the windmill fields in Texas? If uh, you get south of Houston and just go um, west, you all, they're all over the place. From Galveston all the way out to, you know, freaking, um, what's the island at the very end of Texas? Um, Corpus Christi? No, past Corpus Christi. Oh, um, uh, South Padre? Yeah. I mean, literally that whole swath right there. And it's interesting. One of the things that's different about Texas than, say, California is that in Texas, it's for-profit windmills. So the, the state... Um, is not subsidizing the wind energy. It's it's can you compete with normal electrical generation? In in Texas case, they can. In fact, one of the things I think is interesting, uh, we have too much wind energy. We don't we we don't know what to do with it all, and so Texas is not connected to the national grid. We're independent, which is also unique. And so now there's um, some legalese in place that looks like it's get approved, so that we can build the infrastructure, so we can take all of our extra wind energy that we don't need and sell it to the rest of the country. I just think that's cool. <laughs> so Rick Perry is also on the board of two energy companies, so Energy Transfer Partners and Sudoku Logistics, so two midstream companies. And if you follow the news, Energy Transfer Partners has been in the news for the uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline. A lot of controversy about that. Right. Um, I, I don't see any of that being a bias. Uh, every person that I know, both politician and business owners, when they get to this level in their career, they have investments and they sit on boards. Um, they understand how not to let that interfere with what they do for a living. Um, so I, that doesn't doesn't concern me at all. And actually, in some ways, I mean, wouldn't you want the guy that's running the, uh, the energy department to have experience <laughs> in energy, yeah. like maybe sitting on boards and understand what's really going on from a business point of view? So I'm, I, I'm actually a big fan of Rick Perry. He's too much of a uh, Texas Republican to ever make president, um, but I love how he runs the state like a business, and that's what he'll bring to the to the energy department. He will clean it up. He'll get rid of waste. Um, he'll make sure that they make smart decisions that are in everybody's benefit, and he'll set it up so that it runs itself when he's gone. So looking forward to this as well. So kind of a high-level overview, between those two nominations, is there anything that we can expect in the industry that is going to change drastically over the next four years? Yeah, so that's a hard thing to call. Um, so I think... In, what uh, to your predictions. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and add, it, add <laughs> a couple of things. Um, I think that you'll see uh, normalized relations with Russia. I think you think you'll see the sanctions lifted as far as being able to bring tech from oil and gas over there. Um, I think that this group as a whole, not necessarily Rex and, and uh, Rick, but this group as a whole that President-elect Donald Trump's putting together is going to pull the teeth out of the EPA who have been overstepping their bounds. I actually had somebody reach out to me uh, uh, earlier this week talking about that and actually making fun of me uh, because in one breath he says, you know, you're talking about how great the country is because our pollution is so low, which is direct result of the EPA. And then you're talking about pulling the teeth out of the EPA. And so I had to tell him, my, I said, you know what, you're right. I didn't explain myself fully. The difference is scope. In the, the original version of the EPA that came out in the 70s, um, it was small, and they answered directly to Congress, and they weren't intrusive. And so they did a good job. And because of the Clean Air Act and because of the EPA and because of the oil and gas industry, our pollution peaked in the 70s and has gotten better ever since then. I will happily admit that. You fast forward, and now EPA has gotten too big. They don't answer to Congress, and they're a political organization. And so that needs to change. They have stepped out of their, um, their um, lawfully um, mandated um, 
abilities and they're actually functioning as an arm of the political establishment and that's not what you want the EPA to do. So the old EPA love, the new EPA I think needs to be some change and I think you'll with this administration I think you'll see those changes. I'll also think something that we wouldn't directly think would affect oil and gas is going to be huge and it looks like there's going to be some changes in the way corporations are taxed here in the US for the better. Um, it's been proven over and over and over again that when you lo- lower corporate taxes, they hire more people and it provides prosperity for everybody. I think that that will affect our industry as much as anything else. Um, and then there's a whole slew of executive actions, which are not laws, executive actions that have been enacted by the last uh, administration that uh, basically add cost to our industry. I think you can see all of those removed, which will then increase margins. Uh, increase margins in a time that we're going to have a you know a, a basic kind of a low crude price is a good thing. So I, I am predicting not this first four years. I think this first four years is going to set up everything for the next four years. But I think this next four years is going to be great for the oil and gas industry. And then the, the four years after that, so eight years now, it's going to be our heyday. And, and I've been waiting for it. So speaking of the EPA, kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, in the news this week, the EPA kind of came out and said that they're reversing their course on fracking safety, um, you know, kind of as the old administration is on the way out. It seems like they're kind of just giving the middle finger to the the new EPA because I don't know if we already talked about this or not, but uh, President-elect Trump nominated Scott Pruitt to take over the EPA, who was somebody who was like the biggest advocate in the world for shutting down the EPA. Yeah, it, which is who, what needs to happen. So let me just make a little correction there. This article is by The Hill. It's actually The Hill who pinned the title, that EPA reverse course on fracking safety, which mm-hmm. is not what the EPA did. The EPA basically went, because I read the entire study, the, the EPA basically went from in the first study saying that uh, hydraulic fracking has not been proven um, in, at, at not at one time to, to uh, contaminate drinking water to coming back and saying hydraulic fracking could have an impact on drinking water under certain circumstances, even though we don't have the proof for it. That's all they change is those two sentences. Um, and what's happened, though, is, of course, the media has taken that and saying the EPA reversed its course. But the, re- the reason the EPA made that change is a political one. It's not based on science. It's, it's a political one to help prop up whatever our current administration tries to get through at the very end here. Yeah. And this is just a perfect example how the EPA has become a political organization, which you don't want. I mean, think about it. Even if, you're, if you don't agree with what Jake and I believe in, let's say you're on the opposite side. Do you really want to take the chance to let the conservative Republicans one day have control over the EPA? No, you wouldn't want it. You want it to be neutral. You want it to be based on science. And they've gotten away from that. And, and it's going to change. And, and you know, it, it needs to change. And the quicker, the better. Yeah. And the API has even responded blasting the EPA, stating that they're completely ignoring thousands of sources of scientific data that's been collected over a significant amount of time. You know, that it, all the yeah, data that, that supported the original conclusion. Yeah, so that's our next story. And, and, and the science and the data clearly demonstrate that hydraulic fracking does not lead to big impacts on drinking water. And one of the things that gets me, Jake, is you know, if you're really worried about uh, contamination of drinking water in the U.S., nobody, nobody has been able to prove that fracking has caused even one incidence, yet agriculture last year caused over 600 incidents of contaminated drinking water. So if you're really concerned about drinking water, <laughs> why are you spending your time in our neck of the woods? Go talk to the farmers, right? The pig farmers and the, the uh, cow farmers are probably the biggest ones to blame. Um, you, you know, but you, you don't hear that. You don't hear it in the news. And when I ask people about that, they look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. It's like, if I'm pro something and or against something, and here's 600 instances plus, and here's not even a proof of one, I would want to spend my resources where I can make a difference. But, you know, once again, that just shows that this is an emotional argument, not one based on science. And, and this, the, this is, of course, the, the API, American Control Institute, 
um, is coming out bashing what the EPA did. And the and I, I appreciate them having the opposite opinion of, of what some of the um, environmental um, media is reporting. But in some ways, they're almost as bad because they go too far the other way. I, I really just think we need to get back to the facts, to the truth, take emotions out of it. Is hydraulic fracking dangerous? Yeah, of course it's dangerous. Is it more dangerous than you driving to work? No, but it is dangerous, right? And, and so, you know, with the right um, steps in place and, and with the right checks and balances, you can operate an oil well and, and protect the environment, protect the people very well. And at the same time, if you don't have the right stuff in place, things happen. So, um, you know, I'd like to get back to more of the facts instead of everybody pointing fingers at everybody else. Yeah. So another story this week is the Obama administration has rejected the fracked gas pipeline across the Rocky Mountains. This is retarded. If you read this article, um, let's see if I can find some. So, so FERC is basically the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, let's see if I can find. Uh, here's a good quote. Uh, now, tell me if this article is written with a bias. FERC is notorious for its easy approval of dirty fossil fuel projects. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> right? Um, you know, and then it, they talk about um, um, it would... It would uh, cut across two mountain ranges, five rivers, and 400-plus wetlands and waterways. Um, it, would t- it would terminate in a fragile estuary inlet. Then the largest dredging project in coastal history would need to prepare a sand spit for an industrial plant destroying oyster beds and fisheries. And it's like, how much more bias can you write this article? It, it's, you know, and this is, once again, this is when I get back to factual reporting. If you can't give factual reporting, and you can state your opinion, but don't write an article in a way that automatically condemns something before it gets out the gate. If you would read this, you would think that this pipeline's horrible. It's not horrible. It's what it's doing. It's, it's, it's a, a project to allow um, us to ship a liquefied natural gas um, to the West Coast so we can sell it to Asia. Asia right now, if you don't know, gets a lot of their electrical generation capacity from coal, which is horrible for the environment. LNG is automatically 60% cleaner in coal. So if you're really worried about helping the environment, let's get this project through. Now, do I think it's going to get through this administration? No way in hell. Do I think our next administration might step in here? Oh, it will. <laughs> and, and, and we'll get this thing built. And when you talk about building something like this, Jake, you're talking about jobs to construct this thing. This is 10 years worth of jobs, but also you're creating jobs to run it after it's being built. Um, and it's just an infrastructure project. It should not become a political uh, talking point in any way. Um, you know, that's what happened, unfortunately, to, um, um, yeah, what's it called? I can't remember the name of it now. It's horrible. Um, Keystone, Kings, Kingstone, right? It became a political conversation instead of infrastructure project and basically ruined it. So um, let's not let it happen again here, but this is an extremely biased article. And, and I actually like that you find these biased articles because it's easy to point out to people that normally wouldn't catch it how these journalists, if you want to call them journalists, are able to influence an opinion in the way they put their facts and, and, and words together. I find more of these biased articles than, than not. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, me too. All right, so... Another, another huge thing in the news this week is Bill Gates, along with uh, a lot of other billionaire investors, Jack Ma from Alibaba uh, and a few others, uh, have launched a $1 billion clean energy fund called Breakthrough Energy Ventures. What are your thoughts on this? So this is interesting. I, the timing, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but the timing is as soon as Trump won 
um, the, the, the election, they made this announcement. And I don't know if that's a political statement or it's just coincidence or whatever. You know, Bill Gates is shaping up to be one of the best philanthropists in the history of humankind. Um, they spend a lot of money, but they're actually spending money on stuff that's executable. You know, rubber hit the road, not academic type of stuff. Um, I'm not sure. And, and their goal is to provide uh, 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 abundant, clean energy for the world, which is good because you can't bring people out of um, rural um, agrarian type of existence like what's going on in China and Russia and, and you know Africa um, without abundant cheap energy. Do I think this is an anti-oil and gas move? I don't think so. I haven't seen that yet. Um, it, it, a lot of people are trying to make it look that way. Um, but if I'm looking at abundant, cheap, clean energy, I'm looking at natural gas. That's the only thing that's a big player right now. See that or nuclear. Um, and, and as far as breakthrough, you know, physics is physics. There's, you know, the law of thermodynamics, the law of thermodynamics. Yes, we have a bunch of room to grow things like battery technology, um, more effective ways to harness things like wave energy. Um, so it's be interesting to see where this goes. But anytime you put together an investment fund that is looking into tech and it involves energy in some fashion, I don't think you can go wrong. So it's gonna be, I'm gonna keep an eye on this and let's see where it shapes up. Bill Gates is not known for doing stuff that doesn't work. So we'll see what happens. I think they should definitely focus a lot of their energy on batteries, like you said. If you if you know anything about batteries, if you know anything about a solar, both of those are com- they're just completely behind the times with where we are with a lot of other things in technology. Um, and that's that's what like that Tesla is a battery company, and their main mission is to build better batteries, and then as a result, they can power houses, power cars, and eventually yep. probably build an entire battery power grid. Um, so that's you're right, Jake. I and, and nobody saw this coming. Tesla is actually an energy storage company. And yeah. what's what's the biggest constraint with solar and wind? Storing that energy. And so I, I think you're right. I think um, uh, Musk is a genius, even though he doesn't like our industry, and even though he couldn't build his cars without us. But um, it's I think he's a genius to see this as a bigger picture. And and we're there. We're we're almost there. There are several uh, universities working on some different battery technologies that are much be- better than lithium ion. Uh, much more safe for the environment, uh, much more storage, um, and and we need that breakthrough. What a lot of people don't understand is in you know my car, Jake, and your car, our waste products get vented to the atmosphere, right? Uh, yeah. Car- carbon dioxide, water, whatever. In an electric car, you have to carry your waste products with you. As you use that electricity in that battery, it builds waste products, but it has to stay in the battery. Then when you go recharge it, there's a chemical reaction that goes on that takes those waste products and turns into potential energy so the battery's charged again. So that's one of the constraints in the model. But there's so much efficiencies in using electrical for cars, especially for small to medium ranges. So, yeah, if we can get a battery breakthrough, um, that's going to benefit everybody. When I was at the Rice Alliance Energy Forum a few months back, one of the uh, one of the presenters was talking about how inefficient solar panels actually are, and some of the best solar panels out there today only have twenty percent efficiency, meaning they only capture twenty percent of the light that actually hits them and turn that into energy. Yeah, um, and that's another uh, huge way to. Uh, there's a lot of room for obviously improvement there. Yeah, and that's up, Jake. Not that long ago, that was only three or four percent. So even the fact that we're twenty is is substantial. Um, but once again, the the problem in the the bigger picture is what do you do? How do you store that energy? Um, you can generate a lot of electricity with solar right now in twenty sixteen, but only for a certain part of the day. And the rest of the time, it generates little to nothing. And you got to have a way to buffer that. Right now, the way we do it here in the U.S. and Europe is with electrical generation, electrical gener- generating plants, predominantly burning uh, natural gas. Still some coal going on in Europe, and some little bit of coal here. But so so you know, good stuff, and and you know, 
with Bill Gates putting this fund together, you have some very smart people looking to solve some of these problems, and they're going to have the capital to do it. So it's, keep an eye on this one. All right. Last but not least, it is our last story. California Governor Jerry Brown is urging Obama to ban offshore prospecting off of the coast of California. I, I hope they do. I, I love California. I love going there. Um, but they're, they're, the way they run their state is horrible. They have no money. Their infrastructure is crumbling. They pay the most for gasoline or diesel or jet fuel in any state in the U.S. I say we go ahead and let them ban it, and they can just keep importing it. I, Texas will sell it to them all day long. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is silly. You, you, this goes back to my thing about states' rights. I think the state of California, if they want it to ban offshore drilling, it's okay. Let them put them on the referendum. Let them vote for it. But for the state to ask the president, to ask the federal government to come in and supersede state rights, I think that's unconstitutional. Um, and it's it's not how our forefathers wanted our, our country to be run, and it's not how um, you know it should be run. So this is just, I, I think this is, you know, you, you have the left-wing environmentalists in California reaching out to the, our current administration, trying to make one last showing before Trump goes office. You know, if I'm a California resident, I don't want to talk about this. Like, how much money would we make if we had offshore drilling? How much safer is it now? Why does Texas have so much money and we don't? Um, and, and I'm not trying to be funny. Um, you know, the there, like I said, there are risks to drilling, but those risks can be mitigated. But there's also a lot of income to be made. And that income is jobs, is prosperity, is cheaper energy for California. Um, so, you know, I don't know where this to go. I do know that for some strange reason this works. It's going to be an executive action, which means as soon as Trump walks in, he can reverse the action because it, it can't be created as law. It's just, But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where, where this goes. I think Obama has, what, about a month left before, before he has to uh, yeah. have power? Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, crazy stuff. This is sort of stuff that I wonder if other countries read about in the news and just shake their head. You know, because <laughs> other countries would love to have offshore drilling love to have those jobs and prosperity and money and you know i wonder if they just look at us and go what is wrong with those americans i don't know <laughs> yeah if you're listening to the show and you're from another country because i know we have a large global audience let us know do you see some of the stuff that we talk about politically or some of the stuff you read in the u.s and what do you think about that i'd love to get your opinions all right and that wraps up our story so mark we have a winner for the uh, bulwark long sleeve two-tone base layer and who's that it's Dimitri Andreev. He's a production engineer at Oxy Oil and Gas Corporation. So uh, congratulations, Dimitri. You have won the Bulwark two-tone base layer. If you want to join Dimitri in the oil and gas fashion clothing of, of 2016, it looks like 2017, really, really easy thing to do. You go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. And we draw one lucky winner a week. So good luck. All right. So we've got a whole bunch of events coming up. Mark, you want to go through those? Yeah, so this first one we've talked about a long time ago. I'm going to actually try to make it. This is the Marion Winsett Networking Lunch. Jake, Marion started this networking lunch in the 70s. <laughs> it's been around a while then. Yeah, he is a legend. He's one of the godfathers in oil and gas. And it has grown and shrank, and for a while it didn't happen, but it's been going on for, for a long time. And um, now all fill portals, so Rebecca Free, which I think I might have introduced you to Rebecca before, uh, they run this uh, for Marion, although they still out of tradition call it the Marion Winsett Network Lunch. Um, this is informal. It's a bunch of people, only guys to get together. You buy your own lunch. I've seen people get jobs. I've seen salespeople trade um, contacts. Um, I've seen um, people that were uh, looking to hire employees get, you know, be able to pick up two or three of them there. So it, it, it's a great kind of grassroots networking thing. I try to make it. It's, it's, I'm so busy. I can't always make it, but it's always a good time. And it's a great way to meet new people in our industry. 
So next one is uh, January 25th and 26th. It's the Mid-Continent Digital Oil Field Conference, which I think we're going to be there. Yep, Maybe. we are. Yep, MCDOC, if you want to have a weird acronym. Um, this is all about the technology that the big operators use, the Chevrons and Exxons and the Shells, and how smaller operators can use that exact same technology. So this is a, um, a great conference. We're all going to be there. All the podcasts are going to be there, although I don't have the details worked out yet. Um, so it's going to be um, Jake and I for Oil & Gas this week, Patrick and I for uh, Oil & Gas HS&E, um, Paige. Paige, and I, Paige and I for oil and gas industry leaders. Um, so um, if you want to see us do the podcast or maybe even maybe even get on there as a guest, we'll see. Um, come check this out. The other thing that's going on is they're often a special. Uh, Jake will put Dustin's information in there. But, you know, the price of crude's coming back. And if you're trying to get in front of these upstream companies that are operating who can who will increase their operation in North America, this is a great time and a great place to do it. You know, one of our predictions, Jake, uh, that we did on our last show is that there's going to be inflation on land for the service companies in 2017. That's a good thing if you're a service company. Um, that means that you're going to have more clients than you can actually deal with. If you'd like to get a jump start on that, Go, go get a booth of this. I mean, it's what is what is it? Sixteen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars, whatever. It's dirt cheap, because um, this is where the operators, the smaller operators, are going to be that will be growing for twenty seventeen. Yeah, this is one of the events that I do not want to miss. Obviously, I have a uh, an interest in this area. I spent a lot of time in this area, so uh, looking forward to meeting a lot of people and a lot of the other attendees as well. Uh, next up, we got the IPAA Private Capital Conference. This is also on January twenty sixth. Yeah, so you have to choose which one to go through. Hey, maybe get half your company to go to one and half your company to go to the other. <laughs> so, so you know, Jake, we've talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about this on the mic, but you and I have talked about this. You and I both have never seen so much capital sitting on the sidelines in oil and gas than right now at the very end of 2016. Yeah. And this is a whole conference on how private equity um, and, and other investors are looking out investing in, in uh, oil and gas, especially with the independent producers. Um, there's a lot of money. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars that I see on the sidelines. These guys reach out to me on a weekly basis. If you want to understand what's going on in that world, whether that is how you can help get some of that investment money for your company, or if you're an investor, what are the, the pitfalls? What are the things to stay away from? And what are the things you need to look at? Go check this out. Um, I would normally have made this conference, but you and I and the, and the whole gang would be back in Oklahoma for the MCDOC. But if you're if you're interested in this type of private capital stuff, go check this one out. Yeah, I think there's a, one of my predictions. I think there's going to be a lot of capital that is, is sitting on the sidelines outside of the industry that is going to come into oil and gas. I, I can foresee a lot of maybe big VC firms that have never really played in oil and gas because we've seen this a little bit. Uh, I can't remember which which company they actually invested in, but it was one of Peter Thiel's funds uh, actually invested in an oil and gas startup. If you guys know who that is, you know, just please let me know. I, the The name kind of slipped slipped my mind, um, but I think there'll be a lot of uh, outside money coming in, uh, and just kind of like kind of what you said a, a few episodes ago with one of your predictions is that eventually oil and gas will probably be like, you know, sexy like like Silicon Valley, right? Yep, I, I agree. Any of these companies are going to run like these tech companies. Uh, and, you know, I think the culture is going to change a little bit, and I think things are going to be run a lot differently. Yeah, and Jake, I'm already seeing companies that, that historically don't invest in oil and gas put together funds because they know the opportunities here. They don't know what it is yet, and they, they're pretty sure it's a technology opportunity, but they don't know what that is yet either. But we're on the cusp of all that changing. And anytime you have change like that, there's opportunity, and these companies know there's opportunity there. Exactly. Well, guys, that about wraps up the shows. Uh, if you like the show, please leave a review. If you like me, let me know. If you don't, well, just keep it to yourself. Uh, yeah, leave us yeah. five stars. That would be nice. 
Yeah, and if you're interested in any of the events, uh, go sign up for a monthly newsletter. It's free. Uh, we put all of the events together in one place, put them in your inbox once a month. Um, what's going with the rig count, Jake? Oh, we forgot the rig count. Uh, the rig count is up 27 for this week. So we're up to 624 for the week. Um, uh, that's the highest it's been in a while. Yeah, so we're doing pretty good, and it's trending in the right direction. We're going up every single week, uh, so I like what we're seeing, uh, and I can't wait for 2017. Yeah, me neither. It's going to continue to grow up. Then, somewhere down the road, I don't know the date, but we have our next First Friday Q&A coming up. If you have questions that you want Jake and I to answer, it's really easy. Uh, go check out the our new webpage, our new website for the show, um, Oil and Gas This Week, and there's a place where you can just click on Ask a Question. Um, Jake and I's contact information are also on that website, so you can also hit us up on Twitter if that's easier for you. Um, so a uh, couple of things, maybe some of the feeds that you traditionally sign up for might have changed. So if you're not seeing new episodes of this show, of oil and gas HSE or anything else, refresh your feeds. You may have to sign up again because we had to make some changes behind the scenes. And then if you like what we're doing, or like Jake said, if you don't like what we're doing, leave us a review. The reviews are the lifeblood. It's what allows us to do this show for you. And then um, f- finally, if, um, if, if you don't mind, can you share this uh, with your social network, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, Snapchat, whatever. Well, maybe not Snapchat. Well, maybe so chats. Anyway. Um, but yeah, helping us share this show gets this stuff out there. Then the LinkedIn group. If you like the show, join the LinkedIn group. It's that simple. And I think that's about it. Jake, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. All right. See you next week, guys.